Let's um, turn to 2 Samuel 23. Now, if you remember, some weeks we've taken time to um, really look at passages of Scripture, small passages, and really work our way through them. But what we've done these last few weeks as we've come toward the end of David's life is we've kind of picked up a theme and we've looked at some larger chunks of Scripture and pulled out some applications from those larger passages. And I appreciate you being with, um, sticking with me all these weeks as you know, we're looking at some large passages, reading a lot of Scripture. We're going to do the same thing today. Um, and so the theme this morning is this. And, and really, it's kind of picked up on, there's been sub-themes within the series. And if you remember, we began a few weeks ago looking at Absalom's rebellion against David. His son Absalom rebelled against him. And we picked up the theme that Absalom tried to set up a counterfeit kingdom. And we paralleled that with the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, David's kingdom was the start of the kingdom of, of Christ. And we talked about the fact that Jesus' kingdom would be an enduring kingdom. And it is an enduring kingdom. And it will last forever. And so the application is this. You and I need to remember that our story in each and every one of our lives, our story is going somewhere. We're not just in this cycle of life going round and round and round, but from a, the, the, the blessing of a biblical worldview, the blessing of a Christian worldview is that the story of our life has meaning because we know where we came from, we know why we're here, and ultimately we know where we are going. And all of human history is moving in the same direction. So, on the inside, if you look at the introduction, if you're following the notes this morning, we're coming to the end of David's life, but it's the beginning of this great dynasty. David's kingdom has eternal significance. It is the eternal kingdom of Christ. You know, people long for good government. Have you noticed that in the recent years? <laughs> that people are longing for good government. The problem is we can't all agree on what that good government is. And there's just, somebody, was, we had a great group of men's, uh, men that came to pray and young men that came to pray yesterday morning. And one of the men in their prayer was just talking about how the church at large, not necessarily our church, but, but maybe you, but the church at large, there seems to be just a sense in our culture of discouragement. And there's a lot of Christians that have gotten really focused on the political battles going back and forth and the mask wars and the vaccination wars and all of that. And I'm not saying that they are without significance. But what I am saying is this, that as believers, our hope was never supposed to be in the here and now. Our hope was never supposed to be in America. Our hope is in Christ and his kingdom. And so while we love our country, we pray for our country, we pray for our culture, our ultimate and true allegiance is to King Jesus. And so with that, we say our theme today, and that is long live the king. Long live King Jesus. And look at um, 2 Samuel 23. Let's pick, up the, uh, let's pick up the story of David and then see how that relates to the kingdom of Christ. Now, these be the last words of David. And this is David speaking now in the rest of these next verses. David, the son of Jesse, said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just 
ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made me with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the men, but the man that shall touch them must be fenced with iron and the staff of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in the same place. Let's pray. Lord, please help us as we uh, look at your word this morning. I pray that you'd give clarity to our minds. I pray that you'd give me clarity of speech, and I pray, the Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to each heart in the way that only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, you'll see, first of all, we're looking at David's last words. And isn't it fitting that the great psalmist, and as the scripture that we just read said, the sweet psalmist, the beautiful songwriter, the beautiful poet of Israel, finishes his life with a beautiful psalm. And that psalm is right here in 2 Samuel 23. We began our study in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's where we get the theme from. And here David looks back, but notice this, the, the psalm, the final words of David have kingdom significance. Did you notice that? And, and again, we're not, the whole message is not based on this psalm, but it's really the first, the, the first section of the message today. You need to notice these last words. They have kingdom significance. In the first verse, he talks about his humble beginnings. He says, I'm David. I'm the son of Jesse. Remember, the son of Jesse was Jesse, some wonderful, noble family? Absolutely not. They were shepherds. They had flocks. They lived out in the, in the wilderness. And David was the youngest of all of those men. And here he is, an old man. And we, we won't have time to see it today, but if you look at the other scriptures, he's an old, feeble man, so much so that he can barely get out of his bed. I mean, he's just... He's, he's in his, in his 70s, which was a long time to live in these days, in the days of, in these ancient times. He's in his 70s, he's old and he's frail, but he's looking back and he's thinking about his kingdom and his son Solomon, who's about to be the next king and this beautiful temple that's about to be built. And he just says, you know, I'm just David, the shepherd boy. I was the son of Jesse, but God put his hand on me. God raised me up. And he talks about, first of all, he talks about these humble beginnings and how God anointed him and, and, and gave him these sweet songs to write. And he, he reminds himself of the relationship with God that he's had all of these years. Wouldn't it be good to come to the end of our lives and to remember, though we weren't perfect, while we may have had mistakes and may, while we may have steered off of the path, that when we get to the end of our lives, we can look back and say, I walked with God. I'm so thankful that I walked with God. That's what David says here. In verse 2, he speaks more about the Spirit's anointing and how God really used him to give Scripture. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me. And now he talks about this. I said that this psalm, these last words of David, they have kingdom significance. He describes the glory of a righteous kingdom. Do you remember I said in the introduction that people are longing for good government? I mean, really, the founding of our nation was a group of people that just wanted a good and righteous and equitable government. 
David talks about that here. And that is not a uniquely American or Western longing. That's the longing of every human heart. To live in peace, to live in prosperity, to live with blessing. Look at verse number, verse number three. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. This is God's command. He that ruleth over men must be what? Must be just. Ruling in the what? Every leader should understand that their power, their dominion has been given to them by God. And David is reminded that, that he tried his best to be just. But was he always just? No. But then he describes this, this beautiful kingdom as, as, and this beautiful kind of rule in verse 4 and verse number 4 with just beautiful poetic language. In verse 4 he says this, And he shall be, this is the ruler, shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth. Any morning people in here? Who's a morning person? Okay, morning person. So you know what we're talking about here, right? You evening people, are, you night people are like, I don't know what this verse means. I, I just have never seen that before, you know. The, the light of the morning when the sun riseth. Yeah, that there, this, there is this time. Like, when you wake up and it's still dark, and you're like, lost me right there, lost me there. There's this time when you wake up and it's still dark, but then the sun comes up. And he just describes here a beautiful, glorious morning. I traveled for work to Chicopee um, a, a few days a week, and I uh, will come up over Florida Mountain. And this is the time of year where the, the time of day is starting to change, right? Or the light, the length of days is changing. And so sadly, it's the time of year where I leave for work in the morning, in the dark and come back to, from work in the dark. But you know, you know how it goes. I don't want to depress you too much about the, the New England winters coming. But sometimes there's certain parts, times of the year where my commute takes me right over the eastern summit of Florida Mountain. Um, right where you, near where you used to work, Donna, over by the senior center there. And you just have that glorious view to the east and the sun coming up over the mountains. And, and you can see all the way to New Hampshire. And it is just glorious, a glorious morning without clouds. As the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. And David just imagines just the world that we have, but in perfection. If we could get, there are moments, there are moments in the world that we see that are glimpses to us of what the world should be. And that's what David's describing. He says, God, when you set up your ruler, when you set up your reign, and it's a righteous reign, it is so glorious. It is, it is what the world was created for. It is humanity in perfection. I said that David's last words are, they have great kingdom significance. You know why? Because to date, the world has never experienced a dominion like that. To date, there's never been a king or an emperor or president. There's never been a domain that has given us that beautiful, crystal clear morning. And so David's kingdom has begun, but it's just a glimpse of the eternal kingdom that is to come. Don't you look forward to that day? 
the glory of a righteous kingdom. And David says in verse number five, verse five, the Hebrew here is a little bit difficult to translate. In the one sense, David's saying, although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. The idea here is that what David is saying is, I think the idea here is, I cannot, my, my name, my house, my family is not worthy of all of this. But God, despite that, your grace has been given to me. And my house, my family is going to bring about this everlasting covenant. We looked at that weeks ago, the Davidic covenant. How that God said, David, in your family, there will be an eternal kingdom. Remember that no, it, it couldn't be Solomon. Sure, it couldn't be David because he's about to die. Not, but it would be through the line of Judah. Through the family of Judah, David's family, the everlasting covenant would be made. And that is the covenant that only Christ could fulfill. So what we have here, friends, today is not a super practical message that says, all right, let me give you three things to change in your life right now. That's not what this is. This is a very theological concept, but it's something that if we'll grasp a hold of, it's something that we'll cling to in our lives. Like that song we sang today, Great is Thy Faithfulness. The, like the truths in that song, that, that how God never changes, those are truths that they might not be super, it's not a super practical thing while I go out here saying, oh, okay, I learned three new things today. But something that when life starts to spin around us, when difficulties come around us, we cling to that. We hold fast to that. That God is our rock. That there is an everlasting kingdom coming. And you and I, if we are in Christ, we are a part of it. It's an everlasting covenant in verse 5. Ordered in all things and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. In verses 6 and 7, we, we read them already, but he talks about the enemies of the kingdom. The men of Belial, the, the evil men, the people who want to take apart God's kingdom. And it just reminds us that there will always be those, if we've seen the last couple of weeks, there will always be those who come up against God's rule. As beautiful as it is, listen, the kingdom that's described as the beauty of the morning, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't? There's so many people that think, well, I don't want to, I, I don't like Christianity because it commands this and it commands that and it says this. You're missing the point. The commands of God are all for our good. They're all for our benefit. And they bring about peace in our hearts and they are, they are bringing about a beautiful, wonderful eternity that we could never earn or build on our own. Who wouldn't want that? The problem is there are enemies of this beautiful and perfect kingdom. But David says, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm not worried about that. Because God, you will take care of them as you always have. And that was really our focus last week where we, we were reminded, listen, friends, we got to sometimes as Christians, and, and you see governors and, and you see um, the Supreme Court and you watch the news like I think I said this on Wednesday night, you know, sometimes Christians, we need to just we need to just turn Tucker Carlson off and turn Jesus up. Right. We need to just take the news media sometimes and shut it off and say, listen, 
there's always been a kingdom warfare. It doesn't mean I'm fully disengaged, but friends, I need rest for my soul. I need, to, I need to come to church with God's people and be reminded, thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. Great is thy faithfulness. But we belong to him. And this world can spin completely out of control. Our hope was, ne- was never supposed to be in this world. Our hope is in Christ. And David's song reminds us of that. But it's not just the last words of David that remind us of that. But if you turn now to First Chronicles, those were the last words, but now let's look at the final events in David's life. Go to First Chronicles chapter 28, and I'll skip through. There's a lot of scripture here. I'll try to skip through it quickly, or we'll just, I, I don't have a lot of points to make. I just want us to, to read it and then see the kingdom significance that's here. So we saw the last words, and when it said the last words of David, I don't think, I think that's poetic. I don't think it's necessarily the very last utterance of David's lips. I think the idea is this is his final psalm. This is his final dedication to the Lord. But there was some activity that happened. For those of you that are like me, I don't know, maybe not that many. I'm a bit of a history nerd. You know, I love history. I love all all the stuff that's happened in the past. You remember what they'd say? Maybe you watched some old movies or something about the times of England or whatever. They would say the herald would announce, the king is dead. And then what would they say next? Anybody know? You got it. They'd say, the king is dead. Long live the king. And it was this idea that, that the, the, the kingdom would never end. Their kingdom in, in that sense. Well, in essence, that's what's about to happen with David here. He's about to die. The king will be dead. But long live the king. Because King Solomon is going to come and sit on the throne. And so that's the, the context here. There's a dedication of the temple. So look at First Chronicles 28. In verse number one, and David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course and the captains of thousands. And and he talks about all the people. Now look at verse number two. Then David, the king stood up upon his feet. Now, I think it's because he didn't have much strength. I mean, I, I don't know for sure. But I think you got to, if you know the, the, some of the other parts of the story that we haven't had time to study, David doesn't have a lot of physical strength. And I imagine they bring him out on, a, on his bed, the bed that he will eventually die on. They carry him out in front of all the people. And he says, all right, gather everybody. Gather them all. Bring them all in. Bring all the people. And they get all the people there. Stand me on my feet. Are you sure, sir? No, get me up on my feet. And David stands up. It says in verse 2, Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. He doesn't say, Hear me, ye subjects. What does he say? My brothers, my people. Wow. We know that David is a picture of Christ. I'm just reminded of Christ saying to his disciples, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Right? And so David says, they get him up on his feet, and he stands there for one last time to address the people. My people. He says, I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And had made ready for the building. But God wouldn't let me. 
says, I, my great desire in life. And we remember David at his core was a worshiper. He may have been the king, but in his heart, David's a worshiper. And he says, people, there's one thing I wanted to do, and that was build a house for God. But God wouldn't let me, he said, because I was a man of war. But in verse number five, or actually, no, let's go down to verse number uh, three or four. Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel. What's it say? Wait a minute, David, you're about to die. What do you mean he's chosen you to be king forever? Long live the king, for he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler. And of the house of Judah. Who comes from Judah? Who will come from Judah? Messiah. Jesus comes from, from Judah. The house of my father. And among the sons of my father, he liked me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons. Yeah, David, we know all about that one. Um, he, hath he hath chosen Solomon, my son to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said unto me, Solomon thy son, he shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be what? My son. Oh, I could go on for 45 minutes on that statement right there, that he's chosen him to be my son. Just real simply, the idea is this. Every person who was in, who was chosen to be the king of Israel, was considered, was given this title, they were referred to as a son of God. Really interesting. Pointing to the final and true son of God, Jesus. Verse 7, Moreover, I will establish his kingdom, how long? If he be constant to do my commandments and my judgments as at this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord and in the audience of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that ye may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you. How long? Forever. There's a charge to the people. He says, people, do you understand what God has done for you? Do you understand the kingdom that God has set up for you? Do you understand the inheritance that God has given you? David is here an old, feeble man, and he says, look at this king, this eternal kingdom you've been given. Look around at the land of Israel. It is your inheritance. I think the application is for you and I as believers. Look at the kingdom you've been called into. Jesus says this, in the Sermon on the Mount, that the meek, the meek, the meek, what? Will inherit the earth. The point isn't this, that the meeker you are, the greater your inheritance. The point was this. Jesus says the kingdoms of this world think they understand where power comes from. But you watch, Jesus says, in the end, it's going to be the meek that are part of the true kingdom that have the true inheritance. And as David commands the people, and he says, understand the, the, the glory of Israel, church, understand the glory of God's eternal kingdom, what you've been called to, who you are, and whose you are. The charge to the people. 
There's a charge to Solomon. Verse 9, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thought. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if, they, if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Do it. Interesting. Solomon had to be given the charge to be the righteous and, and, the righteous and glorious king that he was supposed to be. But would he fulfill that charge? Yeah. If you know the history, and we're not going to study the, we're not going to go into the life of Solomon or the kings, but if you know the history, Solomon's reign starts out just in power and glory, and it ends, eh. And then his son really makes a mess of things. But there is a coming king who will fulfill that instruction perfectly. There is a coming king that will not falter, he will not fail. And that's what this is all pointing to. In verses 11 through 21, there's careful instructions that are given for how he was supposed to build the temple. And then we come to chapter 29, and that brings us to the grand and glorious coronation day. And in the first verses, you look at, you look at verse number um, 1. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation... Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. And what he says is, he says, I have prepared, and he challenges the people to give for the building of this beautiful, beautiful temple. And if you read, it says in verse number 9, skip down to verse number 9, Then the people rejoiced, for, they, for that they offered willingly. Because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. I don't think there's a greater day. I don't believe there is a greater day in the annals of Hebrew history than this day right here. Where David is preparing to pass the throne to his son Solomon. Where the temple is dedicated. When all the people are there assembled. They've all gathered. And this old man says, and he over, bring in the gifts for the temple. Bring them in. And they all offer willingly. And there's a great celebration as they dedicate the temple. As they, as they prepare for the worship of God. And then we come to David's prayer and his final call to worship. Look at with me now at verse number 10. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Read verse 11 with me. Ready? Thine, O Lord. Now, you've got to read it. You ready? Here we go. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and earth is thine Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people? 
that we should be able to offer so willingly. The privilege of sacrifice. That God's grace was given so that they could give back to Him. Who am I? What is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. We're strangers before thee. He talks about his ancestors. He says, God, you gave us all of this. Verse 17, I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart, hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things. Verse 18, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people, and prepare their heart unto thee. Do you see what God desires forever is what David prayed. God's plan for humanity. You say, what? You say, what is? What is the plan of God for humanity? The plan of God for all of humanity has been to create a people and to call a people to himself, to be his worshipers. And friend, if you're not enthused and excited about the prospect of the worship of our creator for all of eternity, then there may be something missing in your spiritual life. Because what you've been created for, what you and I have been created for, the great meaning for which that, that we look for significance is that we are the people that have a relationship with our Creator. And he says, he prays, David prays for the people. He says, Lord, keep that desire in their heart forever. Jesus would put it this way. But seek ye first, what? the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And so the people sacrificed, and it's beautiful. Skip down, and it says that they sacrificed a thousand, I'm, I'm down in verse 21, they sacrificed a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs, not to mention the drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance. In verse 22, and they did eat, and drink before the Lord on that day with great gladness. And they made Solomon the son of David king the second time and anointed him unto the Lord to be chief governor and Zadok to be priest. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of his father David and prospered. And all Israel obeyed him, and all the princes and the mighty men and all the sons likewise of King David submitted themselves unto Solomon the king. And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed upon him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And the time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and thirty and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. And he died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon his son reigned in his stead. Now the acts of David the king, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, and in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer. 
with all his reign and his might and the times that went over him in all Israel and over all the kingdoms of the countries. The king is dead. Long live the king. But what the world longs for could not be fulfilled in Solomon. King David died. King Solomon would die. His son would die. Each king would die, and eventually the kingdom would be broken until the coming of King Jesus. And so we look to this final point this morning, as we've alluded to it the entire message so far, we now come to that day that you and I look for, the place that all of human history is headed, and that is to the coming coronation of King David, of King Jesus, I'm sorry. I just lost it all right there. I was building up to that and lost it. We're going for the coming coronation of King Jesus. You see, as glorious as that day was, I said there was no day so celebrated, no day so, so glorious as the coronation of Solomon with King David, King Solomon, both there, the festivities of the people. There's coming a day where we will stand before King Jesus. And the Bible says there'll be a great marriage supper of the Lamb. And it says that death is going to be no more and sickness. Why? Because we have a king that it will never be said. It will never be said the king is dead. The resurrection of Jesus secures that kingdom. You see, believer, it's the resurrection of Jesus that is the single most important event in all of human history. In the book of 1 Corinthians, it said, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, our faith is pointless. It's meaningless. It's vain. It's empty. Because Jesus rose from the dead to secure the eternal kingdom. I gave you in your handout, and I believe we'll have it on the screen, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 26. But now... Is Christ risen from the dead? Christ is risen from the dead. Become the first fruits of them that slept. Now listen to this. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Afterwards, they that are Christ swear. Now listen here. What the, those verses just explained. Back it up with me to verse number, verse number 22. As in Adam, all what? That's because of sin. In Adam, all die. Adam sinned. Adam died. You and I sin. We will die. But even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. Remember I said that beautiful morning, that picture of the world, how it was is supposed to be? Death is not supposed to be part of the picture. The kingdom that God intended for you and I is not a kingdom of death. It's a kingdom of life. And there is hope in Christ. So it says, all will die in Adam, all will live in Christ. Now verse number 23. Now verse 23 says, but every man in his own order. Christ died and rose again first, and afterwards those that are Christ's at his coming. The coming of Christ, there will be a great and glorious resurrection. 
as he ushers in his kingdom. All who've died in faith up until that point will be raised to life to rule and reign with Christ at his coming. And now look at verse 24. Then comes what? The end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. You see, we need a king who will live forever. We need a king where it will never be said the king is dead, but long, eternally live the king. He is the one that our hearts long for. He is the one that the world is waiting for. And he's given us an amazing glimpse of that coming kingdom. If you're wondering, if you're wondering where is this all headed? Where is this headed? Is it, you know, well, he tells us in the book of the Revelation, and I saw, Revelation 21, 1 through 5, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new what? Jerusalem. New Jerusalem. Where was the coronation we just looked at in, in, in First Chronicles? And what city was it? Jerusalem. But the scripture says there's a coming new Jerusalem. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the what? Tabernacle. What was being built in first Chronicles? A temple, a temple, tabernacle, the place of worship. Behold, the, the dwelling, the tabernacle, the tent of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And aren't you glad he wrote? Aren't you glad he wrote? And he wrote the words in the book of the Revelation. And he was gracious enough to show us and say, Hey, the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of earth, they will let you down. They will falter. They will fail. You may be, you may be called to live in a generation of peace and prosperity. You may be called to live in a generation of tribulation and difficulty and distress. We have no choice as to what generation we're born into. But we know that we have been, as Esther said, was told, put into the kingdom for such a time as this. And we are here to live today. And we are called not to represent the nations of this world, but to represent the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to cling to that hope 
and to claim that promise. So believer, I'm serious. Are you discouraged when you turn on the news? Are you discouraged by what you see around you? I know I am at times. But remember, this world was never meant to satisfy you. It will always let you down. Don't look for your ultimate fulfillment in your job and your status in this world's kingdom. But as Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And He'll worry about all those other things. So Christian, just take a breath this morning. Just sit back and say, it's okay. God's in control. And if you're here this morning, if you're listening to this message and you're just un, a little bit uncertain, you say, you know, I know about Jesus. I've heard about Jesus. I kind of believe in him. I mean, I was raised to believe, I, you know, whatever your story is, if you're at all uncertain, I want to encourage you today to make sure that you are a true believer. That thing we talked about, the resurrection of Jesus, that he rose from the dead, that's the, that's the, the fact that our lives, that our eternity need to cling to. The Bible says that if you will believe in your heart, if you believe that Jesus died for you, and if you'll believe that he rose from the dead, that he is the true eternal king and son of God, the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible gives us the promise that by faith in that we will be saved. Thou shalt be saved, the scripture says. Is there any doubt in your mind that there is, has there been a time in your life where you've seen yourself as an undeserving sinner and you've asked Jesus Christ to save you? Have you put your faith in his death and resurrection? Say, well, I've been baptized. I've, I went to church. I took communion. No, none of those things matter. The ultimate question of your life and of your eternity will be, have you placed your trust in Christ? If there's any uncertainty, put your faith in Jesus today. Pray to him. Call out to him. Ask him to save you. Let's finish this morning with a time of prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. We're going to bring the service to conclusion in just a minute, but we're still... We're still focused on the word right now. And this is a time for you to respond to God's word. How many Christians in here would say, you know, I've let the events of this world really distract me from my core focus. There, would you say that, that you've been distracted? Would you, maybe this morning you need to spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, just renew my trust in you. Renew my depend. I know that I'm saved. I know that I believe in you. But Lord, I need to be about your kingdom and not my own. Take a minute to, to pray and ask God to just give you that courage, give you that strength. But then maybe there's someone that, as I said a minute ago, you've never, you're not sure that you've ever put your faith in Christ. I want to invite you to do it right now. Say, what do I need to do? You don't need to stand up or raise your hand or walk anywhere. You just need to pray to God. Right now in your heart, you need to say a prayer something like this. Say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. 
I believe that you died and rose again for me, and I put all of my faith in you. I'm not trusting myself. I'm not trusting my religion. I'm trusting in you, Jesus. Would you pray some words, something like that? It's not the words that save you, it's the faith of your heart. But if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, do it right now in this moment. Christ could come at any, any hour. Are you prepared to stand before him? As the instruments play, let's just have a quiet time of prayer for a couple of minutes. Let the Lord work in our hearts. Lord, we thank you that we are part of your kingdom, that you are our sovereign, unchanging, eternal Lord. May our lives this week reflect that kind of dedication that you are worthy of. And Lord, I pray if there's any here that are struggling with, with Lord, struggling with the state of their soul, if they're not sure that they've trusted you, Lord, I pray that they'd not wait any longer, but they call out to you for salvation. Lord, please bless this final hymn as we lift our voices to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.